Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, the Olympics are about to start, and I can't seem to think about anything else. Uh, Catherine, I don't think you can either, because you've got a bit of prep to do for the uh for the opening ceremony which is uh, coming up tomorrow um and uh, and just give us a, an insight into what you've got to do well currently on my agenda today among many other things is um uh making notes of and sort of semi-memorizing some facts about 104 different nations uh my my co-host is uh, is taking the other 104. Maybe it's 103. Anyway, it's 100 and something, crucially. <laughs> um, which is quite a lot. And I don't know how people did this before Wikipedia. <laughs> That's marvellous. Well, I, I, I very much look forward to hearing all, all 103 stroke 104 of them uh, tomorrow. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm... I'm having my own little crash course in the Olympics because I found myself watching Netherlands against Zambia yesterday morning for about five minutes, I thought, and then I ended up watching the whole thing in the Followed in the by the 2012 opening ceremony nine yes. years later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I missed it first time. <laughs> I was moving house and I didn't I, have a TV working or anything. I can't believe you've managed to live the last nine years of your life without having seen that and, and relatively happily as well. I wouldn't well, have thought it possi- possible. I kept wanting to watch it, and I just didn't get around to it. It's very good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's my review nine years on. Matt, how, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, very well. Similarly excited for the Olympics. I think, I think the last few months, my excitement's been quite tempered about the Olympics, just not knowing whether it's going to happen, and then suddenly it's here, and it all feels so real, and I'm watching Simone Biles practice routine on the floor she's got her own emoji have you seen that it's Has a, she? It's a goat it's a goat doing gymnastics with a gold medal around its neck it's quite cool <laughs> that um, is cool yeah i watched the women's football yesterday the tennis drawers are out you know it's here and it's happening um, it's happening so i'm into it i think that that is a, a pretty common feeling isn't it about the olympics if i remember back catherine we we actually started this podcast shortly before the 2012 olympics uh, i remember and and the 2016 is very clear in my mind and i i think 
this is what I recall from those experiences, particularly where the tennis is concerned anyway, is that don't give it a moment's thought in the lead-up, and then suddenly when it's about to happen, it just utterly dominates our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always anticipate it utterly dominating my life. Um, But yes, I realise not everybody... Not everybody uh, approaches the Olympics that way. I've just I, I've got a, a a list of already announced flag bearers, which is by no means an exhaustive list. There are uh, with with about well, in fact, as we record, with precisely twenty four hours to go until the opening ceremony. Uh, I'd say about two thirds, half to two thirds of flag bearers have been announced. Um, and uh, generally speaking, tennis players are disproportionately overrepresented among flag bearers. So I'm going through. Uh, this year there are um, there will be two flag bearers for each nation, one man, one woman. Um, and there's a sprinkling of tennis players, not quite as many as I might have expected. We've got Yelena Ostapenko carrying the Latvian flag. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we have got, yeah, it's really not as many as I would have thought. We've got uh, Veronica Cipede Roig carrying the Paraguay flag. Oh, fantastic. And we've got Jensen Liu carrying the flag for Chinese Taipei. But at the moment, that's it for tennis flag bearers, Oh, which is, which is unusually few. I do wonder... If more uh, more will be announced in the next swathe. Oh, well, very exciting. Mm. Okay, well, if you want to uh, watch Catherine commentating, presenting the Olympic ceremony tomorrow, you can on Eurosport if you're in the UK, uh, alongside Simon Reid. So that is, a, that is a combo I can't wait to hear. Um, right. I know a lot about doves. <laughs> <laughs> more than I did 24 hours ago. Fantastic. Um, Right, this uh, this show is going to be the second part of our listener questions special, and it has, has of course, been edited, guest edited by Lynn Charles, and we've got another cracking selection of questions. One or two that I must admit I'm really struggling to answer, but anyway, I'm going to give it a go, um, and uh, and I'll just look at Matt and Catherine and say you do it. Um, but before then we've had overnight the olympic draws made as as matt was saying matt why don't you just give us uh, on the men's side give us an idea of highlights from from the men's draw Mm. yeah i think the thing about the men's draw is i'm just so drawn to what novak djokovic's draw is He, he just feels like such a massive story in that tournament and he opens against hugo delian of bolivia which probably we would call that a kind draw. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think. Have I have I watched Hugo Delian play tennis? You I've watched him at, the, seen French him at Open. the French Open. On there was a match he played on Simone Mathieu. I can't mm. quite remember who it was against. I think it was Sitsipas. Ah, yes, it was, and he really put on a show. It was mm. a really swashbuckling match, and Sitsipas won, but didn't enjoy himself very much as I recall Mm, yeah I I mean I think he is a clay quarter really and I was reminded actually just how much Djokovic loves the conditions in Tokyo he's he's always played very very well there it looks hot as well doesn't it lots of uh, uh, images emerging of Andy Murray practicing in a sort of string vest very perturbing (laughs) images yes with a lot of neck beard (laughs) yeah really like 
Mate, if you want to stay cool, I think shaving the beard is route one. Not Don't, <laughs> don't jump straight to string vest. <laughs> to Nadal 2006. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Yes, I've, I've seen Sitsipas with a, with a man bun and a sleeveless, sleeveless oh. shirt as well. It's, oh. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> is this the, the event where they try out new fashion <laughs> statements or something? Okay. Uh, but anyway... I mean, Novak Djokovic's draw, Jan and Struff potentially in the second round. Rublev is in his quarter. Zverev is in his half. And I think, crucially, Medvedev and Tsitsipas, who I think are probably the biggest threats, have landed in, in the other half to Novak Agreed. I, th- I think it's a great draw for Djokovic. For me, Medvedev and Tsitsipas are the threats. They're the ones that over best of three sets... I mean, I would still back Djokovic, but they're the ones that over best of three genuinely I think have a a decent chance of beating Novak Djokovic so for them to to both land in the other half I think is is really significant mm-hmm. I have a slightly different view mm. go on in that because it's best of three I think there is the potential for a mugging by somebody who's hot for an hour and when I look at that draw Jan Leonard Struff is powerful and dynamic and can just go for it. I don't think he'll get the job done. But in the next round, I mean, the the, the names down there are Alejandro Davidovich Fikina or Milman, John Milman or Lorenzo Massetti. And the latter of those, I, I mean, I, I know Clay is a better surface for him probably at this stage of his career and, and generally, but just can't get out of my mind the fact that he was able to beat Djokovic properly for two sets. You know what I mean? That's I do know just, what you mean. I, uh, I, do, I do know what you mean. And the other but, thing is, yeah. Rublev, he's never played Rublev. Mm. And That's I, I weird, keep think, isn't it? I That's quirky. It, it is quirky. And I think that they were, they were supposed to play not that long ago and then Rublev didn't get there. It was, it was when... Um, when he was beaten by Fuchovic, I think, at Wimbledon. And I was, you know, we were looking at Rublev, and I was, I was quite interested to see that match because there's a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Djokovic. So I don't think this draw is that straightforward. It may, I may end up looking like an idiot in a week's time, which I'm quite happy to do. It wouldn't be a surprise. It's not something that's happened before. But I think that there is danger lurking there. Mm. Mm. Okay. And and there is a different element to the Olympics. Yeah. It's not a standard event and Djokovic has never won himself? it. Can he can he separate everything that goes with the Olympics? I mean look, he when he played the Davis Cup, um he had that desperately upsetting for him set of defeats, didn't he as a team they lost out in the Davis Cup finals, didn't they? A couple of years ago, but then they won the ATP Cup. But I just the emotions are so heightened. Can he get himself away from that and just do his job mm-hmm. when, it, when, when other players might be just zoning for an hour? That's, I think it's very interesting. I was amused by the Instagram interaction he had with Juan Martín del Potro, who, of course, has beaten him at the last two Olympics. He beat him in, in, in Rio, and then he beat him for the bronze medal match in, in London. And uh, Novak Djokovic posted that he was in Tokyo and... And Del Potro said, "Ah, oh, right, this is your chance because I'm not there. And <laughs> <laughs> it's true, you know, yes, Djokovic hasn't won the Olympics, but he's, he's been beaten by some very good players. He lost to Nadal in Beijing, 
Marion Del Potro in London and Del Potro again in Rio. It's not like he's crashed out at these. I think he knows how to play it. He's just come up against players in really, really good form. Well, he's never been in a better position to win it than now. Mm-hmm. Either I, th- I just feel like he's at his peak mentally, if nothing else. In he, he just looks centered. It looks everything. I don't think there'll be wasted energy. Or at least I think he's got the best chance for the not to be. I still think it could become a factor, though. Best of three and the Olympics and those sorts of opponents. I, I'm really, I'm probably going to watch every one of his matches. I think just fascinated. Is it right, Matt, that he isn't playing the men's doubles, but he is at least rumored to be playing the mixed with Nina Stojanovic? Yeah, that's exactly right. The mixed draw doesn't come out till Tuesday. And I think that's when the entry lists are confirmed as well. And, you know, I guess it might depend how he gets on in the singles in the first few rounds of, as to whether he makes that decision to play the mix. But yes, Nina Stojanovic is his rumoured partner. Just waiting by the phone. <laughs> Those doubles draws. I, looking down the, the women's and men's doubles draws today, just and we'll go through a couple of examples in a little while, but... Because it's country against country and because there's medal, there are medals at stake, I was explaining this to my kids this morning, they're so pumped up. It's so exciting to think of, of what's at stake, really, and the intensity of them. It's, I mean, it's just such a shame there's no crowd there um, to, to really feed off it all. Speaking of doubles and indeed singles, I think it's fair to say the draw hasn't gone brilliantly for Andy Murray, two-time defending singles champion. Why is that? Hmm... Uh, in the doubles, he and Joe Salisbury have been drawn to face Pierre Rugebert and Nicolas Mayou, who are going to win gold. So that's a first round defeat. Um, and in singles, he's been drawn to face Felix Auger Aliassime in round one, who, of course, yeah. beat him at the US Open last year and does seem to be on the other side of a significant breakthrough. Um not so, a bad yeah. round to get him in, though, I think. No, I agree. Look, I'm, I'm not saying he's got no chance there. I'm saying those aren't good draws. Mm. And, <laughs> yeah, and, you're right. And you're especially right. when you consider this is, a, this is a very weakened men's field. I think there's a first round between Dennis Istamin and Sumit Nagal, who were both ranked outside of the top 100. You know, there were, yeah. there were good draws available. And he's, mm. and he's got Felix Auger-Aliassime, who I think is, is a top 10 seed. I suppose flip side is Oshiali Asim might be looking at it and thinking, oh, great. Yeah. I've got the twice yeah, defending probably. champion. Probably. Probably. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Um, and I've seen that the, we'll obviously come on to talking about the women's events, but the order of play is, is out for Saturday. And um, Marion Salisbury are playing Eber Mahu in the night, UK time, on the first day of Olympic action. So he's playing his doubles first. What time have I got to set my alarm for that? I think it'd be on about. 4am, 5am, something like that. It's pretty, pretty standard David Law wake-up time, I think. <laughs> Not an issue. <laughs> um, well, that, what, what gives you this cast-iron certainty about Mahu and Herbert, Catherine? Oh, no, I, I don't have any certainty about <laughs> Mahu and Herbert. I'm just being romantic about it, because it would be <laughs> lovely. OK. <laughs> yes. Uh, right, well, are there a few other first-round men's highlights are Rublev against Nishikori. Oh, my word. Well, for a start, that's just a fascinating tennis match. I just heard the, the, the type of rallies you're going to get in that, but Nishikori playing at home. Yeah, I mean, Nishikori playing at home, it feels like kind of his whole career has been building to this moment. 
would have been his whole career pretty much yeah. wouldn't it that he's known about it he's been overtaken by Naomi Osaka as as the star and his his form and fitness has has dropped in the last couple of years you know ahead of this Olympics but still it's it's a massive deal and yeah fascinating Rublev Rublev first up mm. uh, Catherine you're going to get version two of Daniel Medvedev against Alexander Bublik how are you going to approach this one because you 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 kind of oh I'm all at sea I'm all at sea about it I went big last time it was the most disappointing moment of my year um (laughs) so if I go in expecting nothing hopefully hopes will be exceeded I'm very interested to see how Bublik approaches this. I mean, can you play the Olympics with with your team and gold medal and all that sort of thing at stake and just faff about? Hey, don't reduce the joy that is an underarm serve followed by a fist pump to faffing about. I thought you were going to say an underarm serve followed by six more. Didn't he, <laughs> didn't he do seven underarm serves in a game recently and, yeah, and, he did. and insist on doing that many until, it, until he won the point? What I do think is that Bublik versus Medvedev needs a crowd mm. and it, it won't get one. It needs a mm. crowd to be fully pantomime. I know, I know your argument, David, is old, but you can hear the sledging. But and the I think some of the... Some of that kind of sledging particularly Medvedev's is so kind of pantomime and performative that without a crowd I'd, I'm not sure it even happens what so. about a Medvedev underarm surf and volley again, and then a return through the, the legs you, by Bublik you had me at Medvedev <laughs> underarm serve and then volley happened and then through the I mean yes yes please to all okay. of it all right, well, we've got uh, her catch against Fucevic. That is a brutal first round. Uh, Karatsev against Tommy Paul. And Yoshihito Nishioka against Karen Hatchinov. Those are a few uh, highlights in the first round of the men's draw. Um, we have got in the women's singles, uh, here are a few of the first round. First of all, Ash Barty's taken on Sara Saribas Tormo. Uh, Belinda Bencic against Jessica Pagula. I mean... These are brutal, aren't they? Uh, Leila Fernandez against Dania Stremska. Veronica Kudamatova against Garbinia Magarutha. Fly me, Riley. Uh, and I mean, this is the one that really stood out to me, I think, is Maria Sakkari against Annette Contevate. Imagine going in and finding out that is your opponent, either one of them. I mean, mm. <laughs> you're in for a horrible time. That's a, that's a Grand Slam last 16. Yeah, it is. Um, Naomi Osaka starts against uh, Zhang Sai Sai um, and uh, Carla Suarez Navarro against Ons Jabeur has got to be a match that I seek out I don't know where I watch that um, but one of these uh, pop-up channels Euro- or something Eurosport, maybe Eurosport David, Eurosport yes. Oh, well, I'm, that's, yes, but, but where? There's lots of simultaneous tennis going on um, the, uh, the last or rather the quarter-finals projected are to be Ash Barty against Barbora Krichikova, uh, Arina Sabalenka and Gabinia Magarutha, then the bottom half, Karolina Pliskova against Alina Svitolina. I mean, could the, could the Olympics be the moment that one of those two comes through? A bit like when Elena Dementieva won her gold medal and she didn't win anything else, you know, m- massive in her career. She didn't win a Grand Slam. Um, and then Iga Svantec against Naomi Osaka. Um, my daughter is a massive fan of those two, so I'm not sure what she's going to do if they face. <laughs> but anyway, 
I think what's quite interesting about the quarters in, a, in an Olympics draw is that if you win your quarter, you're then playing for a medal. So what it oh, does right. is that it means that the this year's Grand Slam winners, Osaka, Krejcikova and Barty, can't all win medals at this Olympics because Barty and Krejcikova are in the same quarter, so only one of those can win a medal. And Sviontek and Osaka are in the same quarter, so only one of those can win a medal as well. It's just just a loaded draw despite the withdrawals and I can't wait. When does it start again? Saturday. Saturday, yeah. Oh, brilliant. How, and how Osaka is first up on Saturday. Mm. Is she? 3am mm, UK time. Yeah, but you told me that Andy Murray was playing doubles at 3am. No, 4am he said. No, f- 4 or 5. 4 or 5. He's second oh, okay. on an outside court. Oh, so I might have to double screen this. Mm. Oh, yes. And then another screen for one of the other sports. <laughs> right, OK. OK. <laughs> I'm going to go down the shop and buy some more screens. Um, Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to all of this. A few other doubles highlights in the first round. Um, We seem to have been talking about Mektic and Pavic all year because they keep winning everything. And this was kind of the end goal, wasn't it, as as we saw it uh, with with a Croatian player. And they're they're taking on Melo and De Molina. He's a Brazilian doubles player that has served a drugs ban. That's what I know about. Oh. I've always called him Demolina, but that's okay. not been based on any kind of strong intelligence. So, no, right. Well, neither is mine. So, <laughs> you know, we've we've done both. It's one of them. Um, uh, Hubert Hercatch and Lucas Kubot against Zverevan Struff. This is. I love it when two players just come together because they happen to be from the same nation. Uh, we were we were promoting the the 1992 Olympics Relived show that we did uh, the other day. And that reminds me of the interview we did with Michael Stick talking about winning gold with Boris Becker. <laughs> when, you know, these are two people who didn't particularly get along. <laughs> but they just buried the hatchet for two hours a day and won the gold medal. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah, so go and have a listen to our Olympics Relived series of podcasts which are out there we did we covered every single olympics that uh, tennis has been part of and uh yeah really really proud of those shows i remember the other day that we initially set out to do two olympics per podcast and then the first one ended up being about two hours long and we decided we needed to separate them out so there's lots lots of in-depth shows there yeah there sure is okay um, right, well, what about the women's draw in the doubles? We've got Krichikova and Siniakova against Sue and Shea, but not that Shea, uh, not Sue Wei. And uh, Ash Barty's playing with Storm Sanders. Kiki Burton's could be in her final tournament, playing alongside Demi Schur, uh against Garcia and Mladenovic. I mean, these are cracking matches. Uh, Garcia and Mladenovic being back together is eyes emoji <laughs> yeah because they fell out didn't they mm. back in the day publicly and explosively oh excellent mm. oh wow look at this cynical order of play then so we've got Osaka and Zhang and then we've got Bublik and Medvedev splendid and then the late match is Djokovic against Delian so, so basically it'll be on when we wake up here in the UK um, and I'm, I'm waking up really early every single day to make sure oh so exciting. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Right. Should we, should we have some questions? Let's do it. Are you ready? Okay, Lynn Charles has been going through them all and we've had lots and lots in on Twitter and on Instagram so thank you if you have been sending them in um, if you haven't been chosen try again next time do better what can I say <laughs> we've had over 100 on, uh, on either platform uh, but we have no seriously we've had so many it's very very difficult to choose Lynn has done an excellent job and we'll start with one from Giuseppe on Twitter who's asking, would you be in favour of inducting Richard Williams and Oracine Price into the Tennis Hall of Fame for their contribution to changing the women's game? Catherine. It's a very, very interesting question. And look, I don't, I, there are lots of different categories in the Hall of Hall of Fame, right? It's not just ex-players. I know coaches do get in, inducted, um, members of the media do get inducted. And as we've said before, we're we're not necessarily all massively in tune with the Hall of Fame, with what it means, with the criteria for getting there, because 
you know, as much as we respect it and, and are growing to understand it, it's just it is just not something that British people do or or have. It's not part of our the fabric of sport over here. Um <clears throat> so I realise that there there is a case to be made. It's not as simple as they didn't win any Grand Slams, therefore they're not eligible. And look, if you if you are opening up the criteria to parents and coaching parents, then absolutely they would be eligible. My my question mark would be over the floodgates that that would open. I I think it's quite a slippery slope to uh, to do that. I mean, would you then induct Roger Federer's parents for creating Roger Federer? <laughs> Um, I mean, every everybody is here by virtue of their parents. I mean, everybody's parents played the ultimate role in bringing them to the world, and uh, and most parents play a huge part in in making their children champions if they end up going on to be champions, whether they are officially coaches or not. So, I am not sure about the principle of inducting parents however if we were accepting the principle of inducting parents I would absolutely put Richard Williams and Oracine Price first in the queue Matt yeah I mean I kind of think who am I to say who should be in the Tennis Hall of Fame and as, as Catherine's outlined I don't understand necessarily what gets you in and what doesn't I think through Tennis Relived, I've become a lot more aware of the importance of contributors to tennis outside of just players, whether that be an important political figure who who pushed something through and pushed the sport further along, or a journalist who covered the sport in a particularly great way, or a coach. And I do think, I'm guessing Richard Williams and Orosine Price would get in more as coaches than as parents and I think you know their story is specific and particular isn't it you know you you read about how they had to fight off gangs in Compton just to get on the court and how they experienced racism and they had no background in tennis whatsoever and how they didn't follow the conventional path of pushing Serena and Venus into junior tennis and and they sort of strayed away from that so there's probably a very, very strong case to be made that, that they could be in as as extra extra people in the Hall of Fame. I'm guessing one of the problems the Hall of Fame is going to have over the next few years, certainly in, in, in the men's game, is there haven't been that many Hall of Fame-worthy men's careers over the last 15 years because just a, a handful of players who are obviously going to be absolute dead certs for the Hall of Fame have kind of dominated everything. So maybe they will be looking for some slightly different type of people to get into the Hall of Fame. And yeah, I mean, this would certainly be an interesting one. Yeah, Marin Cilic is going to be a shoo-in, isn't he? <laughs> what, because mm. he won a slam? Because, you know, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal in. I mean, they might as well induct them now. Murray will get in, Wawrinka will get in at some stage. And then, and then Marin Cilic will get his moment. Del Potro as well. Americans who understand, tell us how it works. What gets you in? Um, look, I, I, would, I think they 
I think it's a brilliant idea to induct them into the Tennis Hall of Fame for all the reasons um, you both outlined. And and there is there are clear differences between the way the roles they've played and the roles of some of the some of the other parents of very famous and successful tennis players and the fact that they were coaches and, and all of those circumstances that you outlined. I think it just sent a really strong message from tennis of acceptance and acknowledgement of, of of their role and what they what they did for for good i mean i am mindful that probably richard williams and and in particular has ended up creating a heck of a lot of copycats of people trying to do the same and uh, there are all those videos that you can't help but be open-mouthed at when you hear him predict what would end up happening with Venus and Serena Williams to a T. You know that they did that he achieved and they achieved everything that he said they would. Um, and I I know there are many many people out there, many parents who say, well, he's my inspiration. My kids are going to do the same, and then they don't, and 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 that it can be awful. Um, that's not Richard Williams's fault, but that that's something that happens. But I think that they should be recognised. By the way, I also think Judy Murray should be recognised personally, mm. um, and, and not just because she happens to be the parent of Andy and Jamie Murray, but everything she she contributes to tennis. Um, I, I would be hugely in favour of her being mm. also inducted. That's a good okay, uh, number two. What was your first memory of falling in love with tennis? This comes from Mr. Tambourine Man ninety one on Instagram. What was your first memory of falling in love with tennis? Um, given I'm the oldest, I'll go first. Um, I mean, I, I I sort of watched tennis for the first time in the very early eighties, nineteen eighty one. The first tennis match I remember seeing was Borg against McEnroe, the Wimbledon final of nineteen eighty one, and I did. I really fell for the sport then, but it was only on a couple of weeks a year in the UK, and I I only remember watching it for 10 years for about three weeks a year um and certainly whenever it would come on i would watch wimbledon pretty much around the clock but i didn't have any access to the rest of the tour it just wasn't on tv here um so for me it was when my dad got a satellite dish uh one of the very first ones this massive thing that my mother objected to enormously what is that thing doing on the side of the house? Um, and my dad said, oh, it's really good. And then uh, gave me the remote control, and he had me on side within about 12 seconds. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then I discovered Andres Gomez defeating Andre Agassi in the final of the French Open in 1990. And then, then I discovered tournaments like Gestard straight after Wimbledon on clay and thinking, what? This goes on all the time. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, but it was Jimmy Connors' run to the semi-finals in 1991 at the US Open that really did it for me. Catherine. Well, I uh, come from a family that's always been massively into tennis. Throughout uh, my young childhood, I was, I was the outlier. I was the one that wasn't into tennis. My brother was the tennis player. I got dragged around uh, tournaments with him as his little sister and thought, you know, tennis is their thing and not my thing. In fact, the reason I started ice skating, I think, was because my parents wanted me to have my own thing and I had shown no no interest in tennis whatsoever, Um, whereas I 
they'd taken me skating and I'd really loved it. So, um, but then I don't remember a moment where I suddenly realised this is great. This could be for me as well. I wish there was, you know, a fairy tale moment. But if I had to pin it down to a time, I think it would be two thousand and one Wimbledon. I think I think it was Henmania that got me. I do think it was Henmania because it was so ubiquitous and accessible in this country. I wanted to be I'm I'm very I've always been very very afflicted by FOMO. I've always wanted to be um in in the heart of things that are happening. I can't bear sort of people talking about things and me not knowing about it. I can't bear being left out. I think it might be a little sister thing. Um and What's Henmania? What's Henmania? For those that weren't around. Uh, Henmania was the ever so slightly ironic, but nonetheless full gusto fever surrounding Tim Henman's sort of decade-long quest to win Wimbledon uh, in the UK. And it, it came accompanied by uh, shouts of, come on, Tim, and posters that said tiger tim and more latterly the henman fist pump um yeah so i think i mean obviously henmania existed before 2001 but i think 2001 obviously the year when he reached one of his semi-finals and the rain delayed match against goran Ivanovic that he eventually lost on the third day goran going on to win his uh his fairy tale final, also, also part of our relived series. Go back and check that out. That was the first tournament where I remember being completely reeled in, and I remember asking my dad if we could go and queue for the um, for the People's Monday final, and him saying no, <laughs> for good reasons. I think he had to work, but um, yeah, that's that's my my memory of of getting getting embroiled in tennis. About you, Matt. Well, I used to live next to Surbiton Tennis Club, which holds a challenger event and is, is a thriving tennis club. And I showed absolutely zero interest in tennis whatsoever when we lived a stone's throw away from that. And then, for some reason, pretty much as soon as we moved, I decided that I wanted to start playing tennis. And I actually think I fell in love with playing tennis before I fell in love with watching it. Um, I, I remember having a junior Andre Agassi racket and I think I liked the fact it was an individual sport I I liked the ownership and the control I had over it um my grandma was a was a massive tennis fan whenever I went around their house I, I, I can picture Justine Enna being on the telly at my grandma's house um and then I guess I did start exploring it and watching it and the first match I remember is is the 2005 Wimbledon final Venus Davenport and then, really, it was the Federer and Nadal rivalry which which hooked me. Um, I just loved how opposite they seemed. And, you know, Federer was this serene, untouchable presence. And I was, I was I'm, I'm part Spanish, so I was drawn to Nadal and I loved his energy. And I think it sort of really rubbed off on, on a 10 or 11-year-old me. Um, and then it's interesting what you were saying, Catherine, about sort of how you were drawn to figure skating because it was kind of your thing. And I think... That happened to me with tennis because I think when you watch tennis, it is quite an individual thing. Like people don't go to the pub to watch tennis. 
throughout the whole year. You, you know, you do that with other sports. And there's a real commitment with tennis because it's relentless. You have to watch it through the night or get up really early. And I just think I just became obsessed with it in that way. And it was this sort of whole world that I could dive into myself. Now I love nothing better than watching tennis with other tennis fans and, and you two and, and friends of mine who like tennis. It's it's great. But for a long time, it was an individual pursuit, my interest in tennis. And it sort of just accompanied me throughout throughout those teens. You know, I just got obsessed with it. And there's so much to get obsessed with, with tennis, you know, tournaments, players, surfaces. There's just, there's just so much to it. Um, so, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> that, that resonates with me, I would say, that feeling of this this is something i've discovered how come how come all of you are not talking about this mm. how come mm. everybody i know is not into this because this is amazing and uh, <laughs> i would be an evangelist for it um but yeah ah fortunately we've found each other <laughs> <laughs> oh, my yeah. nickname in in halls at uni was tennis kathy <laughs> splendid and then we found all of you who all listened to this and we could all Bang on about it together. Uh, Matt, I'm coming to you first for this one as well, because this is from Jessica Weaver on Twitter. And, and I, I'm coming to you first because you're the most recent member of the three of us who has turned tennis watching into a job. And, and Jessica would like to know what it's like to watch tennis as part of your jobs versus in the crowd as a fan. Is the way you view it different and which do you prefer? Mm. I found this such an interesting question because it is different, definitely. I think down to a very simple thing that I now watch tennis with a view to what am I going to say on the podcast about it. I probably do watch it a bit more analytically than I used to. I think there's a balance to get with that because I think and I hope what people like about listening to the podcast is it sounds you know, like a natural conversation between people who've just watched the tennis match and... You know, they feel like they're listening to friends talking about tennis. And so I think you want some just instinctive reactions to it. But I, if there's a big match, I, I make notes on my phone of any points that stand out or I look up stats or I keep in mind a possible question to ask or a quote to look for after a match. So I think just the simple fact of watching a tennis match has changed slightly. Um, I don't miss the fan element i think because i only cover tennis i get the sort of fan buzz from other sports you know i can watch football it's just a fan i can watch cricket golf the olympics i'll be a fan so i don't feel like i'm missing out you know on that either i just have such a deep appreciation for tennis that i'll enjoy it however i view it i think i guess you lose a little bit of the of the magic I suppose when you when you watch tennis all the time, you know I, I have really fond memories of you know balancing my phone on my pencil case in in school and watching a tennis match mid lesson and you know <gasps> Matt just sort of I suppose when you when you can't watch something, it's just a bit more exciting when you when you do end up watching it and um, you know that has changed and then. I guess in one way, I've, I've really started to realise that I've become more and more focused on the slams. Like Djokovic. <laughs> well, I think part of it is the podcast, because we look to maximise during those slams, those eight weeks of the year. We increase what we do, and 
they're full on they're great it's it's amazing to be able to watch tennis for two weeks and then i am left a little bit fatigued after those weeks and i'm i don't have such interest in what in what follows immediately after a slam and then i build up i build it back up and i'm raring to go again but i think i was trying to work out how much of that is to do with the podcast and how much of that is to do with what you've just said there Catherine. and is it the era we're living in you know the slams have got really big anyway but i think the last few years certainly in the women's game when serena was was dominating she was focused on the slams and now we've got djokovic telling us that he's focused on the slams and the rest of the tour isn't as important to him does that therefore change my perception of of the tennis tour and what and what matters more than other things you know i think back to 10 years ago when you had the big four it felt like every single week they were jostling for position and every single week they were meeting and it was a significant event I think men's tennis is just in a very different place at the moment. I think we're getting that on the WTA tour at the moment. Um, certainly Barty, Sabalenka formed that rivalry recently and there's so many good players in all those draws that I'm, I'm sort of hooked on all of those events week in, week out. But I don't know, my, my following of men's tennis has, be, has perhaps become a bit more slam-centric. It's, it's, been a, it's been a little shift, I've noticed. I also think the pandemic has influenced that. There's been such a a desire to get the slams played in the last year and a half. Um, so that's probably affected things. But yeah, I mean, this is certainly something I think about a lot in terms of how I watch the sport now. Because someone once said to me, don't make your hobby your job because you don't want to lose that love for your hobby. And I'm very aware that I kind of have made my hobby my job. And I think it's certainly that's not a rule for everyone, but I'm aware of it. And I, I try to be really appreciative of the fact that I get to watch tennis. And I think I am. You know, I, I remember going to the Australian Open in 2019. There were, there were some journalists in there who looked fatigued and not like they were having a great time at the tennis. And I don't want that to happen. I'm just aware of that. And, and I don't think it will. But it is something I think about. Mm. I, I have nothing to add to any of that. That was, that was breathtaking. I, I would say... Definitely, definitely do make your hobby your job if you can. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of yeah. how I always looked at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and look, I don't... It's not that different, I would say. I still... When I'm watching tennis in a work capacity, I still feel like a fan as well. And I think mm. that's what you're trying to express, what well, well, did express brilliantly, Um I don't ever want to lose that. I don't ever want it to feel like drudgery. And I think this podcast helps with that immensely. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It, uh, uh, the diff- the biggest practi- practical difference is clapping. You don't, you don't clap when um, in the press box. I remember learning that on my first day at Queen's in 2007, that you don't clap. When you're working on a tournament, and particularly uh, when you're there in a in a media capacity, and going to Wimbledon this year, as Matt and I did, obviously we were sort of we had work, we had podcast heads on, but we were there in in fan seats. You know, we weren't accredited, and I really relished clapping. And we were sat opposite the 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 uh, the royal box, and we could see that Billie Jean King wasn't clapping, and she clearly has a no clap <laughs> policy, which we found really intriguing. Um, yeah, so not that different, I would say, other than the 
other than the clapping front. And I, I, I hope it remains not that well, different. If I could as well, without, I'm going to make you blush maybe a bit, but I think it's one of the reasons why you're such a good TV presenter is because you bring that, you bring that fan to it, but you do it in a in a very professional way. But you bring the questions that the fan is wanting to ask to your presenting when you're talking to pundits, and and I think it's a great asset to what you do. Um, I I have a very complicated relationship with watching tennis because of the various different roles I've fulfilled as a communications person who's. Um, and I was a fan first I was a massive fan of people like Pete Sampras as you know and then I had to deal with him on a person to person basis and that definitely changed the way I watched matches he was involved in I lost the innocence I lost the the kind of just it's him I like watching him That the reality of who I knew infiltrated my, my thoughts thereafter um, then becoming a radio commentator where you're watching the tennis and you Whereas in TV, I think the the big responsibility of a commentator is to is to understand that it's not about you, the commentator, and to stay out of the way, really, and just sort of help it along. In radio, it kind of is about you, in in that you are performing, um, you're you're creating what it is that the listener experiences along with the sound effects of of the actual match. So. I th- and I very rarely remember a match that I've commentated on on radio. I don't know what, whether it's the intensity or what. I just can't really remember too much about so many of those matches. But I have figured out a way to completely separate myself and become a fan again. I've noticed this, that if I if I just leave Twitter alone, for instance, and just watch a tennis match, it doesn't matter whether it's on TV or whether I'm cooking, watching the iPad, whether I'm courtside at qualifying... I will just lose myself in the rallies and in what's going on. And I'm quite happy to do that. And, and, and I'm really pleased that that's still the case after, well, 40 years of, uh, since I've watched my first tennis match. And I hope that never changes. Um, because, yeah, it's a brilliant sport. So uh, that's uh, number three. Uh, number four, another fascinating question here. I'm not sure how I say the the name on Instagram. Sevgin or Sevgin uh, is asking if you were given the power, which of the following matches outcomes would you change? Would it be a Roberta Vinci against Serena Williams in the 2015 U.S. Open semi-final? That was when Serena was trying to achieve the 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 Grand Slam, which is what Novak Djokovic is trying this year to win all four in the same year. And she'd won three, she got to the semi-finals, and she ran into Roberta Vinci and lost. Um, and also, supplementary question, do you think Serena would still be playing had she won that tournament? Uh, Garbinia Muguruza against uh, Venus Williams in 2017 Wimbledon final, uh, which Muguruza won. And again, the question is, would Venus have retired in 2017 had she won it? And thirdly, Novak Djokovic against Roger Federer, 2019. Wimbledon final, Federer had two match points, lost 13-12 to Djokovic. Real history-altering match, it felt like, at the time. Um, and, yeah, would Federer still be going? Those are, the, those are your options. Catherine, which of those, if any, would you change the outcome of? Well, the only question embedded within those options that I feel really confident about answering is... Uh, whether Venus Williams would have retired had she won the 27th Wimbledon final. I feel very confidently the answer to that is no. Um, winning major titles, uh, adding to her 
adding to her tally and her greatness, I don't think has been her ultimate aim for a long time, even going back to, to 2017, as much as she would have dearly loved that title. I definitely don't think she would have would have retired at that stage. I I would have loved her to get that title, even more so now than I would have at the time. That is, I'm going to steal a, a mat line here, but that is one of the most underappreciated tennis seasons, Venus Williams, in 2017. It yeah. is not talked about enough what she did at 37 years of age, 36-37, I think she turned 37 that year. Um, yeah, a truly extraordinary tennis season, reaching the Australian Open final, losing to Serena, reaching the Wimbledon final, uh, losing to Muguruza and the uh, the um, US Open semifinals as well. So I, I would love Venus to have that one, even though I, I think of the three of them of the three options that's the one that would least change tennis history least skew the timeline in a different direction to to how it's ended up going i would also i would love serena to have to have done the calendar slam in 2015 look i i loved that story in the moment the drama of serena losing that match to roberta vinci i was there it was exhilarating. I can almost still feel the adrenaline coursing through my veins as that was happening and it was all unfolding and there was the reaction and there was Patrick Moratoglu giving an impromptu press conference in a car park and there was Serena whizzing past us and straight into a car. It was all just a rush. Um, and it was a really romantic story, the All-Italian final and Panetta winning it. But I would love Serena to have done that calendar slam um whether she would have retired i i don't know i still think i still think she would have been driven by wanting to come and back and win a slam after having her daughter i do think that is as much of a driver for her or or certainly a significant driver in tandem with the number 24 um and i think I, i both because of what that would mean the message that would send and i suspect she she wants her daughter to see and remember her lifting a grand slam trophy so again would serena have retired would she still be playing had she won that tournament i uh, she might not still be playing in 2021 but i certainly don't think she would have retired there and then in 2015 um so that's a very long-winded way of saying if I had to choose one, I'd probably choose Vinci Serena, hmm. 2015. I, I, I would choose that also without a moment's hesitation. And I, I feel a bit bad because Roberta Vinci that day, I think, played a spellbinding couple of hours of tennis where I don't think Serena Williams had had that much she could do. She, I think she was playing... She, she went through all of her various um, stages in a match and none of them... <clears throat> None of them could overcome Vinci, who was just amazing in that match. I feel bad for Flavia Panetta, who who won the title and had that moment. But Serena Williams winning, completing the Grand Slam, and I I call it that. That's its original name, winning all four in a year. Um, I've never seen that. I, I I sort of vaguely remember that Steffi Graf had done it, but I I wasn't watching tennis closely enough to have seen it. And I I feel like Serena deserved to 
to do that once in her career really and it would have yeah it would have probably put to bed the 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 cumulative title number race with margaret court for good and that probably would have happened um and be all done and dusted and and i kind of wish that that was the case overall matt just imagine if we went back and changed that result and then she lost to panetta in the final well, it could have happened. I mean, Panetta. Yeah, I mean, was, was that's the thing. Good, wasn't she? That's the thing with changing that result. There's still one more result that needs needs to happen after. I'm it. assuming it would have been you know, as as I've laid it out. Man. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was with you. I was rooting for that so much. I actually, I think I watched that in the second best place to the Arthur Ashe Stadium. I was in an Italian bar. Oh, it, hello. The life you've lived, Matt. <laughs> It was a real moment of the power of sport. You know, the heart with which Vinci played and the way the fans loved that story will stay with me. So that I did actually have a great time watching that match. But I, I agree with you in terms of the significance of it in history. I would love Serena to have won that tournament. Um, Wimbledon 2019, I think that would have been Federer's greatest ever victory had he won that. You know, he'd have beaten Nadal in the semis, Djokovic in the final... He played so well that entire tournament. He played so well in that match. And yet, it's actually a match which I think truly defines Novak Djokovic as well. You know, the result, what he managed to achieve, how he managed to win it. It feels like changing that, you're you're taking something away from Djokovic's career. And, you know, I think that victory is a huge, huge point on his his hunting down of, of Nadal and Federer. Um you know, and I, I feel the same as you, Catherine, about Venus. That was an inspirationally good season that I've always felt deserved deserved a major title, even if that wasn't, you know, what was driving it, as you've as you've said for Venus. Um, I would change that one. I would I would give Venus the slam. Imagine oh, I love that. that. Oh. And we would talk about that all the time. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, that would be the year that Federer won that Australian and Venus. And Venus, I mean, that would be... I mean, it was already an incredible tennis year, 2017, but imagine. Poor old God, Benia Muguruza. <laughs> I think one of the frustrations with that, and I, I love watching Muguruza play, is that she didn't kick on after that yeah. Wimbledon. And, and actually, it, you know, she really struggled for a couple of years. And it felt like, I think at the time, I thought, OK, this is Muguruza becoming a dominant player a, a world number one to stay and she's going to win m- many more of these and that just hasn't happened so you know i think oh, venus could have had it <laughs> ah time machine tennis <laughs> um right a couple of quick fire ones to to finish off with from lynn here our guest editor is asking will andre rublev win a major if yes which one is most likely <sighs> quickly he might if I had if I had to put my life on it now, I'd say he won't. I would say no, Matt. I would say no. <gasps> I'd say no with the caveat that men's tennis is going to look very different in mm. three or four years. And I think he's young enough to possibly take advantage of it. But I think no, most likely, I, I think would be the US Open. I, I think he can take out big names, but I think he gets taken out by somebody mm. on a hot streak who's just got more mm-hmm. to them. Um, who's the next male player to come out of nowhere a la Aslan Karatsev asks Lynn 
I hadn't got a clue. That is such a hard question <laughs> because you're literally asking us to predict the unpredictable. The, the whole the whole point is that they came out of nowhere. So who is nowhere right okay, now? Okay, well, I, I've asked Twitter because I didn't know. Um, and uh, somebody suggested Talon Griekspor. Uh, I've also had a Rindiknik. I've had a Jensen Brooksby, who's been on a pretty good run recently, actually. He's, he's young. Peter Fletcher suggests. I think the point, it can't be somebody really young, right? Yeah. Oh. Who, who it, Young people, you expect them to be on a upward, a steep upward trajectory. Is Dominic Kupfer anywhere or is he nowhere? <laughs> well, we've, we've heard of, of him. Interland. The whole point is that we hadn't heard of Karatsev a year no, ago. So you're no, asking us true. to to produce the names of people that we don't know, <laughs> which is quite an impossible question. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, right. Well, I think that's probably all we've got time for this time. Um, but uh, we will. We've got a couple more that we'll save up for next time. Uh, thank you, Lynn, for your magnificent guest editing. Uh, it's been really superb these last two shows I've enjoyed them immensely Um, we are hugely looking forward to the Olympics and we will be coming at you as often as we can during them uh, with a a new show on Monday we'll be a couple of days in so we'll be able to review the first couple of days of the Olympics then we're going daily from quarterfinals onwards so from Thursday through Sunday of next week we'll have daily editions of the tennis podcast uh, to to cover everything that goes on in the Olympics Catherine will be commentating and presenting on Eurosport one uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks including that opening ceremony which uh, which i can't wait to watch tomorrow uh, i think 11 o'clock uk time i think you told me Catherine. Yes. um so yeah i'm, I'm pumped 23 Brilliant. hours for, for mm. the 100 and 103 countries magnificent i'll test you later um, and uh, matt we will see you in the next couple of days as well to chat through our next tennis podcast plans um we have mascots who are scassel mouse for matt uh, rogue for myself and zeus for Catherine. our executive producer is uh, chris albert lee very much top bloke uh, who's our um, who's our mascot for the week matt our mascot is cooper oh of course it's cooper and Rob has been in touch, Cooper's owner, to... Um, Answer the questions that to, you were unable to. Yes, exactly. Which is uh, Cooper's method of transport to the 20 countries that he's visited, considering he can't go on planes. He has been on a plane from New York to Milan, but mainly road trips around Europe and a few, a few trains as well. Fantastic. Yeah. Cooper has also lived a life. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, as has Billie Jean the dog, who's not enjoying the heat wave particularly, no. Billie Jean King. Um, so, you know, send some cooler weather over here, if you wouldn't mind, because she's just sitting underneath chairs looking miserable. Although that may be because Matt and I aren't there. But anyway. She we'll definitely back, misses you. Yeah, well. We miss Billie Jean. Feelings very much mutual. I did not expect to become that attached to that dog that quickly. But it happened. What Can't can I resist that face. right then Uh, so we'll be back with another tennis podcast on Monday do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts tell everybody about the show if you like it if you don't leave it Um, but yeah tell people spread the word thanks very much for your company and we'll speak to you on Monday Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.